Dear listener, Sairam and greetings from Prashanti Nilayam. Welcome to our radio program, Afternoon Satsang. This is a segment of Radio Sai's Thursday Live, hosted by Prem and Arvind at 12.30pm Indian Standard Time on Thursdays, only on Asia's stream of Radio Sai Global Harmony. The discussion is on Ramakatharasa Vahini, a book written by Swami, and today's episode was first broadcast live on 9th April 2015. Have a listen please. Offering a most humble pranam to Bhagwan's lotus feet, Dear listeners, we welcome you to this week's episode of Afternoon Satsang. It is that fortnight on which we dwell upon the necklace story of Lord Shri Rama written by our dear Lord in the form of the book Ramakatha Rasavahini. As always, we begin by offering our most loving pranams and gratitude to Swami and to the feet of Lord Hanuman who is believed to be ever-present whenever the name of Lord Rama and the story of Rama is recollected. Before we start and before I invite Brother Arvind to join me, as always, let us begin by ruminating over this sweet name of Rama. Shri Raghavam Dasharatatmajamaprame Sitapatim Raghukulan Mayaratnadipam Ajanubahum Sairam, dear listeners, this is Arvind from Team Radio Sai and it is my pleasure and privilege to be enjoying this opportunity to delve into the sweet name of Rama, of our Sai Rama. You know, Prem, recently I had been to this place called Gandikota, a very, very hot place, but there's basically a big fort and a few temples 
all those things date back to the early 12th century ad the most captivating site in this whole spot is a gorge a mm-hmm. gorge that has been created by the river penna and this gorge is often described as the grand canyon of india <laughs> okay you know i mean when i stood there on top of the gorge and looked down below it's almost about 200 feet deep and there is that huge river flowing through and it has cut through the rock so beautifully so wonderfully it's a magnificent sight that that will definitely take anyone's breath away of course it's another matter that my breath had already been taken away by the arduous trek till that spot in the hot sun it's ideal to visit it sometime in october to february not in the month of april like i did but the point i want to make here is if we look at water it appears so benign so liquidy it doesn't appear so powerful at all of okay. course when you look at the mighty ocean or the sea you, you realize the power of water but say this tumbler in front of me the water in this tumbler or any other a river it doesn't look so dangerous deadly powerful strong at least in comparison to a rock but what i saw at gandikota amazed me because it showed the power of a f- water flow this flow of water had dug into solid hard rock mm-hmm. to the extent of 200 feet which was amazing because when we hold in the hand a rock is so hard and solid and water is well water it doesn't even stay in the hand and just to think that what the flow of this water over that rock can do immediately it might appear that the water will have no impact on the rock but over time what happens is what has happened at gandikota the grand canyon of india which tourists visit from all over india especially south india to see why i brought up this analogy is because we often wonder what is the use of hearing the stories hearing the story this ramayana that is there many of the things there are so idealistic that we won't even dream of following it in our lives let's be frank many things that why many things almost all the things that rama or his brothers bharata shatrughna lakshmana do i don't think we will do it in our day to day life i don't think it is in quotes practical in the modern day so it almost feels like why not you know that is one reason why i feel modern movies or other such productions people attend and go to more because those are apparently more practical you can relate to them more ramayana is too idealistic and that's why people are ready to call it even mythology they can't believe that such a thing will happen i feel the ramayana is like that water and our hearts that has been hardened by all these different vices that has been hardened by the rays of this world will definitely get broken down sometime or the other by the flow of this water we have to just ensure that this water flows on the rock over and over again persistently need not do any extra efforts in the sense that i make lot of efforts to i don't help the water to erode or corrode the rock right i just allow it to flow so also of course it's wonderful if i am able to practice the what is being said in the ramayana but even if i am not able to practice just hearing the ramayana over and over again hearing these stories of great idealism great love and true divinity over and over again is definitely going to have an impact on our hearts just like the water there has an impact on the rocks 
truly uh, Arvind you said something very profound but I'm reminded of something which is a little more frivolous at this moment and a little okay. more uh, funny I should say I remember uh, I think when we were in Vrindavan when you we were in undergraduate uh, we were doing the sciences but the BCom students used to have one paper which was very difficult hmm. I think income tax or some particular uh, tax related paper where you had a lot of uh, calculations to do at the end of it you're supposed to arrive at a figure or you know, some balance sheet or whatever it is I'm not sure of the terminology and invariably nobody gets the sum right. It's That's how it is. It's very difficult and in fact it's so difficult that the examiner himself does not expect you to get it right. If you've done the steps properly and if you've got the idea, if seeing your, the way you've worked out the problem, if the teacher feels that you understood the concept, then you're given marks based on that. Nobody really gets the correct answer. So it's almost like you getting marks for your efforts and understanding. Right. So the, in the class, there was this stopper, this boy who was the best in the class. So after the exam, what these boy, other boys would do is, they would see what answer he has got. So that would become the benchmark, the best answer you could get, if even if not the right answer. And they would say, how much is their answer different from that? That's so the benchmark. <laughs> right, that's the be- benchmark. And they would say, that, okay, that's how well I've done this sum. Okay. And that sum was, I think, worth 30, 40 marks or something like that. So they would say that it's like the percentile system, you know, that's the best and how close we are to that is how good we are. I think in a sense, that's what we all do when we listen to the Ramayana, when we listen to idealism being portrayed in our mythology. Maybe a bad thing that we feel that we won't be able to reach to that state. Swami does not appreciate that idea. Swami feels that we should strive to reach that state. But at least we kind of judge ourselves based on that benchmark rather than uh, keeping the benchmark much lower. That's what we all do when you say that we enjoy modern day movies and we enjoy these kind of plots. I think it's because a lot of compromise is done on the protagonist. They're saying that, okay, even if it is like this, he can be the hero of the movie. Even if he has these flaws, he can be the hero of the movie. So when we see that relatively our percentile goes up. Right. You know, you have a negative person who still can be the hero of the story. You know, you have these uh, negative protagonists. I think we kind of feel more kinship towards that kind of a <laughs> role. But what Swami has always said is, this is the ideal. In fact, that is why even when speaking to students, Swami would speak more about Rama than about Krishna. Swami would talk of the beauty of the Krishna avatar, but whenever he spoke about idealism, whenever he spoke about living life in a way that is worthy of living, he would always refer to the characters of the Ramayana, not just Rama, but all the characters of the Ramayana. And that is why, especially this part which we are coming to, is yet another standout for that because each character is like battling with the other one in portraying their idealism and an idealism which transcends even dharma. You know, when you talk of dharma, you're talking about the rules which define that particular personality in his stage of life. But each of these characters portray an idealism which is beyond what dharma can contain, which can only be defined as love. And that is what we're going to see in the characters which we're going to discuss today. And the story where we are, just to give an idea of where we are at the story, Bharata and Shatrugna are back now. They've come they for been the, in the kingdom of Kekeya. Right. And uh, they were summoned by Vashishta after the sudden and unfortunate death of Emperor Dasharatha. Emperor Dasharatha dies unable to bear the pangs of separation from his sons Rama, Lakshmana and his daughter-in-law Sita. And after his death, the kingdom is orphaned and therefore in order to take over the reins of the kingdom, Bharata and Shatrugna are called back from the Kekeya kingdom. And even as they return, they see all the signs of some great disaster having struck the kingdom. They know that something terrible has happened and when they get to know the truth, they are shocked. 
they get to know the truth from sage washishta himself and it is after reeling with shock from what news they have received that both the brothers head towards the chambers of the queens and not surprisingly instead of going to meet their own mother kaikeyi bharata and shatrugna head towards the chambers of the senior most queen the mother of rama queen kausalya right and even before he does that the little dialogue which he has with vasishta itself makes it clear what bharata's stance is you know, when vasishta is kind of putting it in a way which is not exactly unpleasant he says that you have got the opportunity to take this kingdom forward that's what vasishta says that it's it's destiny's will that you be the ruler now and so it is up to you to live up to the grandeur of the ikshvaku line and bharata says that I mean you call it an opportunity you call it a grand blessing i call it a curse because he says that this is no more that ikshvaku line which any king would dream of inheriting you know this is that ikshvaku line where the best among the sons which the line has ever had has been banished to the forest the king has listened to the wife and he has sent away his righteous son and in the process he has killed himself when he has died of grief this is the situation i am coming in and you are telling me this is the kingdom you are going to inherit so i don't see it as a blessing at all and i don't definitely want to rule in the absence of my brother and uh, vasishta really appreciates the feeling with which bharata speaks and he says that you know what has happened has happened it has to carry on so now he takes his leave and goes to as you said mother kaushalya's uh, chambers and there the scene is so very warm you know because kaushalya is herself in unimaginable grief mm-hmm. she's lost her son she's separated from her son and she's lost her husband and very very genuinely she starts consoling bharata and she says that how it is up to you now you should take up the place which your father has relinquished and you have to be an able leader to the citizens of this country no you know uh, at this point prem it is such an amazing thing just imagine that there is a woman i mean she is i don't know what you call that relationship i mean both of you share a same husband because kausalya kaikeyi and sumitra have same dasharatha as the husband and this other woman has been solely responsible for banishing your darling son into the forest and in return she has sought the entire empire for her son and that shock has killed your husband and now that son bharata is coming into your presence the least any normal person will expect is at least a few words of venom if not against bharata at least against kaikeyi right I mean that is what <laughs> my mind thinks, and it only shows me where what is the level of my mind, but it also shows me what is the level of Kausalya's personality. I would have expected her to first lambast Bharata, saying that you know what what a mess this has become. At least, if not that, I would have expected her to at least scold Bharata's mother, Kaikeyi, maybe embrace Bharata and tell him, Bharata, you are an understanding person, but see what is this. you are like a son to me also but see what has happened to your brother you shared your grief at least shared your grief <laughs> with maybe a little bit of spite against kaike but nothing of that happens oh my god it shows it shows what real love compassion and forgiveness is in the way swami describes that scene you know, she very genuinely very lovingly holds bharata's hands pats him on his head and gives him counsel like a mother would give a king to be you know that's how kaushalya is talking to bharata and not even mentioning the name of kaikeyi as you said forget mentioning it in bitterness not even mentioning or not even blaming her in the least and the way swami writes it is so beautiful he says 
Bharata looks at Kaushalya and says, Mother, I think you have mistaken me for your son Rama. I am actually <laughs> Bharata. And I deserve to be treated much more rudely than the way you are treating me now. Because I am the one who is responsible for your son to go away and my father to die. Then Bharata says, you know, this can only come when you have absolute pure love for Rama. Because your love for Rama has reached such a pure state that you treat everybody like how you would treat Rama himself. And that is why you are looking at me and you are behaving to me like how you would behave to Rama. That is definitely a strong message for all of us. I am just stating again what you stated. If you love Rama so much and therefore you are able to see only Rama in everyone. You don't recognize even Rama's enemies, even the people who are responsible for the so-called downfall of Rama. Now, if I love my Swami so much, the world will definitely be a better place, not only for me, but for everyone. When we say that we love Swami, do we love Swami the way Kausalya loves Rama? Or as we shall see later on, the way Bharata loves Rama? Indeed, a very, very important message for all of us to imbibe. And uh, needless to say, Bharata makes his plan very, very clear. He says, I am not going to rule this country. There is no way I am going to do that. First thing I am going to do is, I will be going to where Rama is and I will do whatever it takes to get him back here. This land, the throne rightfully belongs to him and he has to rule. My, my role is what Lakshmana is doing. If Rama refuses to come back and I have to do what Lakshmana is doing, that is exactly what I have to be doing and I am going to do that, I will go to the forest. And Kaushalya feels very, very relieved you know, to see that the bitterness which was never seen in the family before, which was now spotted between the queens, has definitely not gone in the next lineage, it's not come you know, within the brothers, at least going by the story, removing all the inner details which Swami has revealed much later. So Kaushalya is very relieved that you know there is no amount of animosity within the brothers, there is no amount of greed and envy within them. So she says that whoever rules is going to rule well now. I mean, you are as much worthy to be a, an emperor of this realm as Rama is, because you are as pure as he is, and so I am not worried at all. And uh, I think this is the point where Kaushalya says that if you go, please do take me along. At least once I will be able to see him and after that even if I have to die, I don't mind. I will be happy to shed this body. It is natural that she gets such feelings because a few hours or maybe a day before, her, she has seen her own husband die and she wouldn't want that fate that I pass away or I die without having been able to see Rama once again in my life. And so it is natural that she tells Bharata that take me you know this, Prem, this is a small digression here. Mm-hmm. This feeling that this might be the last time ever has a very, very, very strong impact on reorganizing our priorities. I remember that, you know, for a few days, by Bhagwan's grace, I had got this opportunity to do security duty at Trai Brindavan, which is Swami's residence. So basically, Swami would be in the room upstairs and down there is a veranda and the meeting room. So... We would be going there at night and sleeping there in the name of doing security. More than anything else, it was an opportunity. Of course, we never saw Swami because Swami would have retired before we went there. And uh, before Swami would be out of the room, we had to leave the premises. But then, it was a wonderful opportunity and I used to feel very happy. In fact, I remember the first two days, I didn't get sleep at all. Mm -hmm. I was lying down on the floor and looking up and thinking, you know what? Above the ceiling over here in that room, there is Swami. This is the closest I can get to Swami mm-hmm. while sleeping at night. All this I was thinking. But then after two days, you know, it became like I, I began to sleep and it was just like how I'm sleeping in the room. The day came when I completed my education in Brindavan. I had to come over to Parthi for my master's. 
and that night i remember prem again it was like the first night i never got sleep i kept walking all around the ground floor of trai brindavan touching the swing touching the chair touching the cupboard touching the floor touching the carpet touching everything possible you know i just wanted to make that entire thing a part of me why was it not as valuable the previous day it was but just that feeling that you know i may never see this again in my life i may never get this opportunity again in my life let me make the best use of this opportunity the whole night i spent in just doing this touching the different objects in that place the idol the statues the chair everything possible and trying to absorb as much possible gathering my thoughts putting it down in my diary all that i was doing it was then that it struck me how wonderful it would be if every interaction that we have in life everything that we do in life we do it with this feeling that it might be the last time we are doing it because the truth is it might actually turn out to be the last time if we do everything with this thought i am sure all the enthusiasm the passion the energy will automatically be there because you would definitely want to sign off in style you would definitely want to cherish and keep memories of everything i never know the person whom i am speaking with it might be the last time so definitely there's such a powerful transformation that this thought brings about in us when we are able to realize the truth that everything is ephemeral and may be gone the next moment if we can lead then just like you know kausalya also experienced it i'm sure that we'll see ahead if she gets to meet rama or not but if she gets to meet rama it is definitely going to be a very 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 powerful moment it's not that her love for rama has increased or anything but in that moment the power that is inherent will definitely be more than all the other moments when she would have been with rama not having this thought that i may not see rama again i think that's the beauty when you look at uh, people who is to come for swami's darshan all said and done putaparti even in in 2000s and 1990s needed a little bit of traveling to get get there you know quite a bit <laughs> <laughs> yes i mean if you're coming from any of the south south indian cities or even up in the north you did have to do a fair bit of traveling before you get to putaparti so somebody who has made the journey has an inkling of what it is to have swami's darshan you know the, the potency of having swami's darshan but even people who would make that journey and come and see swami i have seen that after that first darshan they will say what next and if you tell them that evening again swami will come for darshan you can come but you have seen him in the morning what else is there to see even people who come all the way they know that there is something important you get when you see swami but they don't see that need to see him again or the need to you know see him as many times as possible this is especially true nowadays prem because i know some people mm-hmm. who had come and they were guests for me and uh, they were coming first time ever okay. to prashant nilayam and uh, took them to sai sanidhi after they see there they say okay what do we do in the evening there is bhajans and you mean go back to the same place we already saw that yeah you know it's as if like uh, it's right. a tourist place right and i have seen some people behave like that even when swami is giving darshan swami is physically giving darshan because you know i think that is where the difference between the same people who came and you know they not all people who come for swami's darshan also believe that swami is divine but there are some people who even accept him as a divine master or as a guru but even if let's say a sees swami as a guru and b also sees swami as a guru the attitude towards darshan may be different i think because in one case you have respect for the personality or individual the other place you have love i think that is the difference and many of us have made that journey from respect to love 
where from a point where you look at Swami with awe and respect and reverence to the point where you look at Swami with love. And when that love steps in, then I think it's madness. How many of times you see, how many of times you have his darshan, it just is not enough. All the rules, nothing matters. Right. I really remember that Prem, how I am just speaking for myself because I have experienced myself, but I am sure many will be able to relate to it, where when you come... You know, for a person who is of the first category, where they say that we already saw him in the morning, what do you mean see again, is there anything else? For them, we would look like absolute crazy. Apart from seeing him in the morning and evening, we keep waiting (laughs) and if Swami goes out in the car, we want to rush and see. Okay, you saw him, it's fine. No, we want to see him if he comes running back. If possible, you go running and stand at a road hump where you know car will slow down. And after you have his darshan there, if possible, race the car and go to the next road hump so that on the same journey onward, you can have two darshans. All this seems crazy, but it is so, so, so understandable, as you say, when you are moved from reverence to love. Very true. I mean, if you speak to some of these uh, boys in the old Brindavan, they would say that they would sit under a window for hours together. And finally, when Swami comes to the window, what you see is just a shadow. You don't see nothing more than that. You just see that Swami is passing by, by that window. Swami is standing there and looking. And thanks to Swami's beautiful halo of hair, you could at least distinctly make out that it's Swami. If somebody else standing there, you wouldn't know that it's another person. And Swami was so characteristic even in his shadow, you could make out. But you know, if you look at it for hours together, seeing just seeing Swami go by as a shadow, go by as a silhouette, I think it can come only because there is a connection which is beyond the physical. Though we thought that, you know, when you are attached to Swami's darshan, when you are attached to Swami's form, it's a very physical kind of love. The fact is that we have already transcended that physical. We have already transcended that phase where that love was only in seeing the form, only in this one. But we didn't know it. I think now when we see that people who know, who come here only for that presence, which is not physical, the presence which is still can be felt pulsating, you know that you had always transcended the physical, but... Only now we are actually realizing that we had made that journey. If not completely, definitely partially it was transcending the physical. Because Prem, if it was physical, which other relationship can you do this that you go and you just keep looking at the person. The person doesn't bother to look back at you, doesn't talk to you, (laughs) doesn't do anything to you. And yet you dote upon him, you you are ready to give up your life for him, you are ready to live for him, you are ready to die for him. I mean, that part definitely makes it sure that part of it was at least beyond the physical. It was not dependent on the physical. And, you know, to sum up both of the uh, thoughts that we have expressed, I just feel if we look at what happened on the 24th of April, we are coming to the Aradhana Divas very soon. 24th of April in 2011, those three days, lakhs and lakhs of people came to Prashantilya. Why? Didn't they have the ability to come before that? Why so many people on that very day is because... All the people who came definitely were people who want to see Swami. It's just that there was an additional knowledge that, you know what, if I miss today, I may never get to see the physical frame again in my life. And that's why I was, you know, emphasizing that there is a very, very strong reorganization of priorities that takes place when we are able to live completely in the present without having any expectations of the future, not even the expectation that I'll be alive tomorrow morning. It reorganizes your priorities and that is what has happened to so many of us and in part maybe that is can be said as to be happening here also where Kausalya requests uh, Bharata that if you are going let me also come with you I want to see him for one last time. 
and the beauty is imagine this is applied when we have enough number of photos and videos of swami to see and relive swami's presence i mean it's as much as seeing swami walking around we if can you hear see, him right if you see a picture of him if you see a discourse of his but imagine in, the, in that time it was really you can relate to what kaushalya mother kaushalya would have felt when she said that at least i could see him for one last time before i breathe my last she might have only had a painting maybe maybe that too <laughs> because i think even our grandmothers used to be so scared of having photographs taken of their children because they would think that that kind of shortens the lifespan hmm. so maybe they never painted images of the kings of those days children maybe right yeah. you never know but you can relate to that pain which mother kaushalya felt so that is what and after having met mother kaushalya and having had this dialogue with her bharata and needless to say shatrugna wherever bharata goes even shatrugna is following him as swami described many times before now they head towards the chambers of mother kaiki and even as they near the chamber outside sitting there is manthara the maid and she has put on her best act and she seems to be in great trauma and sorrow and she comes running as if to receive bharata and shatrugna as is seeking solace from them but shatrugna catches hold of her hair and gives her a sound thrashing because all this anger that has pent up he is holding it he is controlling it and then you know though shatrugna and bharata have conquered their anger have controlled their anger all this while this combination of anger with the hypocrisy of the individual becomes too much often you know <laughs> and here if mantara had said that you know i hate rama i don't want him that's why i did this it's okay when she comes up doing this which they see as hypocrisy they are unable to bear it shatrugna gives her a thrashing mantara calls out and kaikeyi from inside the chambers comes rushing out to her aid she frees mantara from the clutches of shatrugna and then asks him what he is doing he says why why are you doing this she is the one who took care of me when i was a child she is the one who has taken care of you both you should look to her as your grandmother and you know the minute she starts saying this that is when bharata you know starts his verbal assault on his mother kaikeyi and he kind of absolutely bears his heart he says how could a woman even do like this you know and he starts talking about her talking about mantara and how she could listen to the words of that and banish do something like this to lord rama and that's when he starts even reviling his own father he says what a man he was that he has you know bartered the life of his the future of his son for the sake of pleasing his wife and then he says that no but as far as i know my father was not like that my father was not like that and if that was the case he wouldn't have died heartbroken the very fact that he died out of the separation of I mean after sending away lord rama he has done this out of compulsion and definitely the whole onus of the act lies on you it is almost as if bharata is saying that father is redeemed because he died out of pangs of separation you have not died you know he doesn't say this but that is what i felt you know he is saying you have not died it in itself shows how hard hearted you are how could you possibly be alive after having done this and after having known this and uh, he says when you asked for that boon did not your tongue turn to ashes how could your tongue even utter such a thing when such desire came into you did not your heart shatter into a million pieces how could it have sustained that desire and yet not got shattered you know these are the rhetorical questions that he throws at kaikeyi and he walks off in a huff he walks off in a huff saying that it's almost as if that bharata is the physical son of kaikeyi and he has a duty to perform and therefore he came to meet his mother 
but in all other sense it's almost as if bharata has renounced his mother he doesn't want you know again another powerful message because when it's between you and your lord when it's between you and god anybody who is coming in between you and god beat your own mother is to be kept aside is to be shunned because nothing should be allowed between you and god no medium no mother no father nothing no relationship nothing i mean you can't emphasize more on that nothing word nothing should be allowed to come in between and since bharata perceives kaikeyi as someone who has come in between him and his lord rama he shuns her and walks away and the words that he has used are so powerful and so filled with his remorse and agony that kaikeyi too begins to feel agony we know how swami has said that kaikeyi did all this as per the divine master plan for the first time in her life kaikeyi starts feeling disgust towards manthara because you know kaikeyi had been commanded by lord rama to do so but she feels how is it that manthara could do this you know of course i wouldn't have listened to manthara lord rama wants this to be done in this manner for the fulfillment of his mission that is what we discussed in some satsang before but how manthara got these thoughts so for the first time in her life kaikeyi starts getting disgusted with manthara and uh, in the meanwhile bharata and chatrugna proceed towards vashishta and again uh, swami never misses an opportunity to impart an important lesson he says talking about kaikeyi's rumination you know of course in the ramkatha rasvani when swami describes it he describes it without revealing the secret that rama has asked mother kaikeyi to act the way she has acted so he says that for the first time kaikeyi realizes that any plan which is done with a devious motive might appear to be successful initially but eventually it will ruin everything else that you held dear to you and the third he says and it's a very important thing you know i think in in life it's a very important lesson for all of us because we can always tweak what is right and wrong a little bit and get something beneficial in the moment but it's needless to say swami has spoken about this many occasions when swami speaks about the importance of telling the truth and swami says that you start lying and then you eventually to save that one lie you have to tell another 10 lies in you kind of ruin the whole plan what you thought was you are trying to fix the whole plan you end up you know messing up the whole thing that's what sami is saying here maybe had i allowed things to go as it were thinking from kaikeyi's point of view maybe bharata would have been happier you know than he is now i thought i'm doing the best thing in his interest but he's not happy i've lost my husband i've lost my other sons who are so loving to me lost now, my self respect right now everything has changed After all if you look at it from a mother's point of view she thought that she was doing what was right for, or what was better for her son but it's kind of ruined the whole thing and so now Bharata walks to Vashishta he walks and he just opens out his heart to him you know Bharata was unable to open out his heart to Kausalya because he is filled with feelings of guilt he is not able to open out his heart to kaikeyi because he feels she doesn't deserve even a tiny minuscule part of his heart and so this is where the beauty of a preceptor or a guru comes in the guru becomes mother guru becomes father as and when is required by the shishya and that is what happens he opens up his heart and you know it starts with self criticism bharata says oh sage You know I have come from the womb of Kaikeyi I criticized her for being hard hearted but definitely I am more hard hearted than her she might not have you know died the way Dasharatha died on having done this or having heard this but I too I am alive my heart continues to beat 
Nothing seems to have happened to me. I am so, so hard-hearted. After all, the son inherits whatever he inherits from his parents. I definitely must have inherited that hard-heartedness. And this kind of stroke of ill luck is so terrible for me. I am unable to bear my grief. I don't know what else I can do. I know this much. I know only one thing at this point of time. That is, I will not have peace until I embrace Rama. After all, I am his slave. I cannot stay without him. I cannot live without him. And therefore, the only thing that I know I want to do now is I want to rush right away, go to where Rama is and fall at his feet and offer myself as his slave because without Rama, I don't have life. O Gurudev, O Preceptor, bless me. Bless me on this adventure of mine. Bless me on this venture of mine. In fact, that is what he proclaims in the open court. He tells all the elders assembled there that he is seeking their blessings to be on this journey where he is embarking on to go and meet Rama. And even as he asks this, everybody is so touched with Bharata's love for Rama and they readily permit his plan. In fact, they go beyond that also. Right. I think the scene is that, you know, when Bharata takes the leave of Vasishta and goes, the scene is that the entire court of elders are there, the ministers and even the kings who come under the... The vassal kings. Right, the vassal kings under the emperorship of Dashrata, all are there. The situation is that they don't have an emperor now. The emperor has passed away. The eldest son who is supposed to inherit is has been sent on an exile and Bharata was traveling all this while. So they have been eagerly waiting for somebody to be crowned as an emperor. And that is the situation and Bharata refuses to take up you know, the throne and he goes away to his mother. So they are all expectantly waiting that Bharata will come back and he would have been consoled enough after meeting the two queens and he will come and take up the throne. So that is the situation when Bharata comes and says that it's absolutely, I am in no better shape now to accept this throne and I am not going to take it. And as you said, he says that the only way I can appease my the turmoil in my mind is if I go and have the darshan of Lord Rama. And that is when the entire court, all the elders, they say that Definitely this is the best thing to do and please don't go alone, take all of us along. And I think they just pounced on this opportunity. You know, they all are in the need of an emperor. They all know the situation in the kingdom is very stark. But when an opportunity like this comes and Bharata says that I will go and see Lord Rama, everyone says that yes, we all should do this. Forget about the kingdom, forget about we not having an emperor and the situation being a little, you know, dangerous. Let's go and see Rama. And this word spread like wildfire. Just like all the courtiers, the vassal kingdoms, kings and all the ministers, everyone pounds at this opportunity to go and meet Rama. So too happened in the entire kingdom. Men and women alike, elders and youngsters alike, everyone decided that we will also accompany Bharata and his entourage to go and meet Rama. And you know, it spread to the queens. Kausalya is also now happy. She's saying, yes, Bharata is going. So he had promised me he would take me along. So I am going. So Sumitra is also going. In fact, Swami writes that even Kaikeyi, Kaikeyi is so repentant and remorseful because of her own deeds. She comes and she requests Kausalya. She says, you know, I would also like to come and meet Rama. And again, it's so beautiful. Kausalya has no angry words. Not only angry words, she doesn't have angry thoughts. She doesn't have angry feelings at all. She embraces her. Says, sister, you are welcome. Definitely. You know, thirst, this uh, missing Rama is common to every one of us, just like thirst and hunger is. And it would be a sin to deny the thirsty water and the hungry food. Therefore, why not? Let us all go. And that is how preparations 
are made on a grand scale for the entire kingdom the army the cavalry everyone because everyone wants to see rama all are pining to see rama just imagine if it was said that there is a place where you can actually go and swami has decided to give darshan for one day there <laughs> and who all are going to come i am sure we'll shut down the book trust the central trust radio everything all of us would want to go but on the practical side somebody must be there <laughs> in the offices to safeguard possibly and that is exactly what bharata says that we will leave a minimal stock of people back in the kingdom to take care and they are also doing a great sacrifice by staying back it's indeed very noble of them so the rest can proceed you know as bharata said this i was reminded of how it would happen during some of the kodaikanal trips one of the teachers sairam sir from school was saying how he was a chai boy mm-hmm. you know i think we have mentioned chai once or twice in our satsangs right he had a slight uh, mental handicap and swami had actually adopted him he had his own room in trivrindavan and you were one of the chai boys so you know it mm-hmm. so there would be these three four chai boys who who had to always be around to take care of him and many times these chai boys would be rewarded specially by swami via a trip to kodaikanal or some special interview and all that so sairam sir was saying how during the time when he was a chai boy three other chai boys who were there along with him got the opportunity to accompany swami to kodaikanal and swami told him will you please stay back and look after chai because i can't take chai to kodaikanal and chai needs someone to look after him so i really don't know what to say whose fortune it is which is greater the three boys who accompanied swami to kodaikanal or sairam sir who stayed back and looked after chai while we often have faith in swami and love him it's amazing when swami has his faith in us and swami knows you know i really felt at that moment swami knew that he can depend on sairam sir which is amazing and so it's a different kind of joy it's a different kind of blessing to accompany as well as to stay back and that is what was happening at ayodhya most of them got the opportunity to accompany a few had been forced to stay back to look after the kingdom and it is with this joyous anticipation and excitement that everyone slept that night even as you're saying about staying back to take care of the place i think uh, even you would have heard it from the person itself or uh, former registrar of the university lakshmi narsimhan sir he had that very very phenomenal experience mm-hmm. i think most of us had heard it straight from him when swami made the trip to kashmir i think if i'm not wrong sometime in the late 70s or 80s when swami went to kashmir mm-hmm. swami asked him to stay back in vrindavan ashram because the entire staff and students and the elders in the ashram all i think were part of swami's group so swami asked him to stay back and he had that i'm not sure of the details of the experience but one night when he was sleeping in the mandir swami appeared and gave him the vision of the vishwarupa Oh yes yes i heard right. this yes. he very descriptively narrates that whole scene of how he saw swami and that huge form which was luminescent which filled the whole sky and everything and he could see that swami actually gave him a kind of a special vision to see that he could see that rays of light coming and hitting him and that's how he saw the whole form so as you said it is one thing to be taken along and if swami gives you the task of staying back i think that also is equally a sign of swami's love special love on that person that's a very poignant uh, statement to make right now because i feel that is what it is you know when swami physically left we saw many people who left along with him some of the seniors some of the not so seniors also who would definitely be playing important role in the mission 
if we can call it that way swami's mission later on we felt that this is a double whammy swami physically has left apart from that so many others also he has taken along all and i really felt swami all your dear ones and chosen ones you took along with you you don't like so much possibly so you have left us behind that is what was my thought in my emotion in my sorrow i kept telling swami that swami you left us behind you know you left us behind you didn't make any proper plans for us but as you said you know it's experiences like the kind that lakshmi narsimhan sir has had and other such instances that gives us so much of purpose in life that it is not ordinary even when swami leaves you behind there is a special purpose and we have to be sincere and hard working and keep our faith alive and firm in order to enjoy that experience and of course going right to the end of the story in the end when the whole ramayana is ending where rama decides to discard his physical frame the story goes that you know he invites the entire populace of ayodhya to come and step into the sarayu along with him that's how the whole ramayana is said to reach a culmination in fact he sends word to everybody who wishes to join him can join him and it is believed that from kishkinda sugriva comes to join rama on that last journey you know mm. that's how many people came and you would expect that in an offer like that definitely somebody like hanuman would have a place and of course you know why would not somebody like hanuman join rama in that last journey and when he steps forward it seems ramas turns to hanuman and says hanuman will you stay back you know will you stay back and become a chiranjeevi and live in this realm forever and hanuman very humbly accepts that and that's why it is said that wherever you speak of rama wherever you sing the praise of lord rama hanuman will always be there because he is one devotee who sacrificed that you know that grandest opportunity which he very well deserved to make that last journey with rama for the sake of all of us you know that's how it is said if you ask hanuman who is seated here i'm sure because uh, wherever rama's glory is sung he is there i'm sure he will say that no there's nothing that i did i didn't do anything for all of you it is just rama's love and i'm sure he'll give the entire credit to rama but at this point we definitely pray to him that we too develop love for our swami we too enrich our hearts with that much love just as he has enriched his heart we too hope that one day if we tear our chest if not physically at least metaphorically there in our heart should be seated swami swami and nobody else nothing else so dear listeners before we progress in the story where the entire populace of ayodhya is now moving towards where rama sita and lakshmana are staying in the forest we'll take a short break break we'll play a little bhajan on the other side of it we'll continue the story because we, i think for the past two or three months we've been going through this journey where rama sita and lakshmana have taken that path the various places where they stopped over the different things which happened now this entire ayodhya is actually revisiting that whole journey and so we'll see what happens in each of those places where rama and sita stayed in the night but before that a little bhajan and we'll continue after that
back dear listeners even as we heard the beautiful song going on ayodhya vasi ram ram it tells us the truth that while we may think that rama is a person who resided in ayodhya the truth is actually that ayodhya resided in rama where rama is there ayodhya is in fact that is what sita tells rama also when she is told that you can stay back and you not come in the exile she says for me my ayodhya is where my rama is where my rama is not even ayodhya becomes a forest for me and so when we say ayodhya vasi ram let us realize that ayodhya resides in ram not the other way in fact why ayodhya it is the entire universe this resides in ram and not ram residing the universe for us the entire universe resides in swami and not swami residing in any single place or single point in the universe in that sense when we say prashantinilya nivasa it doesn't mean swami lives in prashantinilyam it means that prashantinilyam is in swami when we say mathura nivasa it doesn't mean he is in mathura it just means that mathura is also in him with that piece of wisdom let us also join bharata and all the entourage in moving towards rama early in the morning they set out with vedic chants and they have taken all the provisions that are necessary even provision that are necessary to do the daily rituals of yagna yaga everything so the whole huge it's a what shall i say magnificent sight because the entire kingdom the entire empire dam is actually marching out towards where rama is and uh, in the lead is the chariot which is supposed to carry bharata and shatrughna but surprisingly they are not in the chariot but walking beside it right and not just walking but they walking barefoot because as he has learned from the people who have seen rama and sita and lakshmana leave ayodhya they, that's how they left they left like they were mendicants you know they walked away and of course sumantra is the one who drops them till the point they've not yet come till there but the remorse which bharata feels still is so strong i think that's what all of us do you know when we are upset about something which we have done the best way we can do is 
we trouble the body which we think we are you know we think we that punish ourselves. right we taking upon any physical pain is is a means of uh, seeking forgiveness for what uh, evil has happened through you and that's what bharata is trying to do and whatever bharata does shatrughna follows and that's what sami says that in the start in the front part of this convoy is are the brahmins led by vasishta and then there is this, these two chariots which are meant for shatrughna and bharata which are empty because these two are walking and then followed by the palanquins of the queens and then the citizens and the last part of it is of course the army which is protecting this whole convoy and in fact it's not protecting the convoy they are also part of this convoy to go and have the darshan of lord rama and seeing the sight of bharata and shatrughna walking barefoot the citizen think that you know maybe for a short distance they will walk like this and after this they'll get onto the chariots and they'll progress you know how long can you walk this way but that's not the case bharata is very very serious about walking that entire distance barefoot till he sees and seeks forgiveness from lord rama and in fact even kaushalya is pained by seeing them walk this way and she says why don't you get on to your chariots i'm reminded of the some of the politicians during these cleanliness drives they just pose with a broom or a mop stick for the photographers for the press and when the right. picture is taken <laughs> yes when the picture is taken get into their vehicles and drive away Bharata and Shatrughna were not like that. It's not that they were doing it for any <laughs> kind of publicity or anything. They are walking, and as you said, I think the word we were searching there for is atonement. Right. It seems like a, <laughs> an atonement for all the things that they have done, and uh, therefore they want to experience the same pains, same trials, tribulations that Rama and Sita especially would have undergone because Rama is, after all, a hero. a heroic personality a very powerful personality but mother sita with her tender feet she has trod these stony paths so how could we think of sitting in a chariot in fact mother kausalya notices this and she pleads to bharata she says bharata you come on come on to a chariot you know there is no use of you troubling yourself like this i'm sure if rama gets to know this he will feel pained but bharata just refuses to listen to her he explains to her his point of view he tells her that this is the atonement mother that i have to do you know i will be more uncomfortable and i will be more pained when i sit in the chariot than when i am in a situation that my brother rama is also in you know this is one more level of love and devotion we see one level was where sita says that rama let me be with you even if you are in the forest it will be like a palace to me here bharata is not with rama but he is telling that if i am in the same condition same situation same kind of circumstance as what rama is in i will be more joyous and more comforted rather than be in a comforting place so he is walking on the rocks and when kausalya is uh, please her requests don't elicit favorable response from bharata that is when vashishta you know he tries he is wise and he tries it in another manner he puts the same thing in another manner to bharata he says bharata i need somebody who is an expert to maneuver my chariot could you please help me and be my charioteer but bharata sees through that ruse and he says forgive me revered gurudev forgive me grandsire today i cannot do that i would love to do that i'll be ready to do that any other time but not today because today nothing else is more important than my rama i have lost my rama and i cannot i cannot do this if you want i shall get you the best of charioteers but i have to walk on the stony path the wise sage vashishta realizes the intensity of bharata's love and devotion and his greatness 
and that's why he lets us be and that's what happens they march on for days in fact the first night of marching they spend on the banks of river tamasa they continue to march the next day and the second night they spend on the banks of river gomati it is towards the third night late in the evening that they reach the place shringiverapuram that is the place where guha who had served rama sita and lakshmana before along with all his nishadas in that tribe they live there so towards the end of day 3 the entire entourage reaches shringiverapuram and before we come to that point where guha comes and you know he has his own set of doubts and how he clears them i think one character which is conspicuous because of the the lack of mention here maybe is that of urmila you know sami never mentions that urmila was part of the entourage at least in this description you know sami is saying that kaushalya came along and the other queens came along kaikeyi also came along sami doesn't mention urmila coming along hmm. because lakshmana is there and just a recap of what we had mentioned earlier when lakshmana was leaving urmila takes that boon from lakshmana saying that when you are in the forest you should never think of me so that that will enable you to serve your lord better and i think among the citizens who stayed back in ayodhya urmila must have been one of them in fact sami tells in one of the discourses right that 14 years she never leaves the chamber in which lakshmana leaves her you know she's mm. painting a picture and she says that i will remain here till you come back exactly i think so many characters in uh, ramayana that's why in the beginning when we said you know each of these characters are exuding a, a level of idealism which kind of makes us dizzy <laughs> you could uh, put at this point way. dear listeners we also want to tell you that somehow if we remember at each point each and every point we will be able to highlight the idealism but it is possible thanks to prem now urmila was brought up but there was very much the possibility that we would have skipped this little point and proceeded with the story because swami seems to have skipped it in his narrative in right. the ramkatha rasavahini but that is how beautiful this story of ramayana is even if we travel it through the eyes of any of the other participants of this wonderful story wonderful epic wonderful part of history we will be able to see idealism love and lot of things to learn lot of lessons to imbibe and as you said their pushing away problem is the third day when guha realizes that there is this huge entourage which is marching towards his uh, small tribal village it must have been an ocean of people right? it must have been a huge and especially with a huge you know contingent of elephants and horses marching there would have been enough signs of something like this coming towards their village that's how guha realizes that there is this huge contingent marching towards him and i'm sure he would have had his uh, men and spies and all that to find out who is this what is this group which is coming towards him and when he realizes that it is Bharata who is the younger brother of Rama and he knows the whole story how Rama has, had happened to come towards the forest so immediately he realizes that I mean he is not sure of the intentions of Bharata who is coming towards the banks of the river so he immediately commands his men especially the boatmen to keep all the boats submerged to at least ensure that if he is coming with anything any mischief in his mind that he will not be allowed to cross that area and cross over to the other side of the Ganges Basically a guha's line of thinking is that a poisonous tree will have poisonous fruits and it is with venom that kaikeyi has sent rama to the forest how can i be sure that bharata too does not possess that venom and so now guha wants to find out whether bharata is coming with positive intent 
meaning he wants to reconcile with rama and he is missing rama in that sense or whether he is coming with a negative intent that i have got the kingdom but i can never be safe as long as rama is alive even though he may be in the forest let me go and finish him once and for all or is he coming with a neutral intent is it that i just happen to be going on some other work i am passing this way it has got nothing to do with rama so this is what guha wants to find out and you know prem swami beautifully writes that he devises a test to find out what is bharata's intentions and what is the test the food that has been cooked he says that there are fruits and vegetables that are cooked there is some meat some mammal land animal meat like maybe chicken or goat apart from that there is fish and guha decides to test the intentions of bharata not only based on the information that he has received from his spies but also based on what bharata chooses to eat very true in fact uh, swami says that as a chieftain of that particular tribe he says that you know it is mandatory dharma has it that he needs to go and invite bharata himself who is the monarch like who is the monarch who is coming towards his so just like how rama was treated he needs to be given the same treatment whatever his intentions are you know he needs to be treated but you know that's the devotee stepping ahead of the chieftain because the first moves that he makes is as we said he asks his boatmen to keep the boat submerged he keeps his you know humble army at the banks of the river he says that if at all we need to fight them we'll fight them you know we'll perish in the process but we'll at least give them a good fight if they are coming with intentions of vanquishing rama we'll give them a good fight so he does all these arrangements and then goes forward as you said with these three types of food being prepared the fruits the meat and the dishes made out of fish a small interruption here prem when you said that this was the devotee of devotee side of him taking the lead and the chieftain took the back seat i remember an incident that general mahadevan used to often narrate right you know he was in the army he was uh, commanding so many officers and men one swami had promised that he would visit his contingent and bless everybody in the army and uh, swami visited there in the car and it so happened that as the car door opened and swami stepped out all the army men rushed to fall at swami's feet and they were you know vying with each other jumping over each other everybody wanted a touch or a word with swami swami smilingly looked at general mahadevan and asked him mahadevan what happened to army discipline <laughs> and uh, not to be outdone immediately he responded he said swami because devotion has taken the front seat your discipline has taken the back seat <laughs> so right. uh, i was just reminded of this little episode when you said that and the devotee you, in him right when you say this i am reminded of another episode uh-huh. might not be exactly juxtaposed to what you said but very similar it seems it was that was the time when this indo stadium was not built yet mm-hmm. and uh, i think before any major event like any of swami's big birthdays or during the narayan sevas the ground had to be leveled and that was the task which was given to the students and swami would come and swami would tell them that from tomorrow no darshan for you you will go to the ground and work and when swami said no darshan it was like no formal darshan it's not like you will come and sit in the darshan ground and have darshan because swami would drive down every day to give them darshan <laughs> because these boys were working in the ground and uh, one of those days swami took along with him one of the uh, ministers who had come for swami's darshan so swami put him in the car and swami was driving towards the ground So Swami is giving a description of all the buildings which they were driving past and there was a time when there was no building after the Vidyagiri arch 
after you crossed the primary school, you could see the ground straight from there. There was no, none of the school buildings, the gymnasium, none of that was there. From the main road, you could see the ground. So the moment Swami crossed that building and you could see the ground, Swami said, see, 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 all my boys are working there. Mm-hmm. So you could see all these boys wearing khakis. Swami used to give special khaki clothes to work in the ground. So they were all cleaning, clearing the ground and leveling it. So Swami was, as they were driving in the car, Swami was saying, see, all of, all of them were working and all that. And you could really see from the road that these boys were really sincerely working. And uh, just as Swami's car entered the driveway going towards the stadium, the news spread that Swami has entered. And the moment the news reached the ground and the students where they were, you could see all of them throwing their implements all over the place and coming running towards Swami. And they all came and surrounded Swami's car. (laughs) And you could see that, I mean, in a sense, there was a break of discipline. You know, everybody is around Swami's car. And this is the time when Swami chose to drive a very beautiful and sweet lesson to this politician who is with Swami. And Swami looked at the minister and said, see, this is the difference between people who work for you and people who work for me. Swami said, as long as Swami is not there, they all work sincerely. The moment Swami comes, they all run after me. But in your office, as long as you are not there, nobody does any work. The moment you step in, everybody starts working. (laughs) (laughs) And so he said, you know, that's the difference. And I really don't know why I came to this incident. But uh, no, no need of any reason, Prem. I don't think it's we so need beautiful. a reason to it's wonderful. Like something sweet about Swami. Yes, it was slightly connected to discipline taking a back seat, right. which I narrated. And uh, about, you know, General Mahadevan, and that's how we came to this incident. So we are at that point where uh, Guha is offering food to Bharata. And yeah, I think we have built up the suspense enough. Swami says that if Bharata has the fruits which are sattvic in nature, he has positive intents. He wants to make up with Rama. He wants to reconcile. If he chooses to go for the meat which is rajasic in nature, I think we should have a detailed discussion in some satsang about what is sattvic, rajasic and tamasic, not only in terms of food but in terms of the gunas themselves. But as of now, rajasic is more action-oriented Tamasic is sloth and sattvic is purity and goodness. So, if he eats meat, he is rajasic. But if he takes fish, he is tamasic. So, based on what he is going to eat, Guha is going to draw some conclusions on what his intentions are. If it is sattvic, then good intentions. If it is rajasic, then neutral intentions. If it is tamasic, then negative intentions. And no need to say Bharata goes for the fruits because... Bharata is not there to, you know, put up any sattvic food or make a good show of himself. He is just thinking, what is my Rama having? What is naturally and readily available in a form that can be immediately consumed? That is what Rama will be having. So I too will have only that. In fact, while classifying food, rajasic, sattvic, tamasic, one possible rule of the thumb is also this, you know, what is readily available without any manipulation from man? is often very good for the body and also sattvic. Very true. And as you said, Swami does not exactly tell what Bharata chooses. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think by then, Guha realizes the intention of Bharata because Swami very beautifully describes there that even as he approaches Bharata, the kind of signs which he sees in nature and signs of omens which he encounters are so very pleasant. And he says that the moment he goes to Bharata's presence, he feels the same energy and vibration he felt in Rama's presence. In fact, when Guha is introduced to Bharata as the person who served Rama, spontaneously, instantaneously, without any other thought, Bharata gives him a wholehearted embrace. 
and the warmth the love the vibes as you said that guha feels in bharata's embrace all his doubts about bharata's intentions just melt away he is convinced after that bharata asks guha to show him each and every spot where rama and sita were how did you know where did they have their evolutions where did they have their food where did they rest for the night and it is with great delight that guha shows bharata the different spots he says there is a hut where they rested there is a place where they rested and swami writes there you know bharata says okay you know to his people that you know this hut has to be maintained please preserve it well because this is a place that has been sanctified by rama i felt thrilled at that point because bharata was showing radio sai characteristics you know <laughs> of preserving the archive maintaining an archive of all that the lord has left behind because a hut is no longer just a hut once it's touched by the lord so to you know i just felt that we are now planning the launch of the shri satyasai archive possibly this guru purnima so as i read this i felt it was a slight nudge from swami a pat on our back telling us good you are going in the right direction so i was also glad to know that bharata had radio sai tendencies <laughs> and also it, it is an expression of you know something we spoke last week hmm. about what do you do when you start missing a loved one bharata was actually showing that and i think it's also an answer to all those people who ask what is there in pati to see now you know the memories which this place encases in itself is immense you know how many times we do it every day without a knowledge and you know sometimes when i'm taking a walk on that main road it really fills me with so much awe how many times swami would drive past that main road you know where there is the hostel and the university how many times i mean it's you just can't imagine just in the last few years how many times swami has driven past that way and in the times in the 70s and 80s when maybe swami had a little more free time how many times swami would drive past that way just taking that bus route from let's say the ganesh circle to the ashram bus stand you're traveling through a path which has been taken by swami at least 2000 uh, times right i mean <laughs> so many many times here is bharata who's going through the same track which rama and sita walked once and he says this is where rama lied down this is where you know they had food this is where they had their bath and he fills himself with the thoughts of rama and says you know with so much reverence imagine what prashantinilayam is filled with then i think it is that reverence that we have to develop in our hearts prem when we had gone to north india they pointed out to one place and said this is the place where you know apparently rama's feet had been washed and it was called some charanpur i don't remember so rama's feet are uh, there's some kind of a marking on the stone okay. even nearby there's this place called lepakshi where they say that in the ramayana later on we will see jatayu falling mm-hmm. down and it right. is here that rama told lepakshi in telugu which means get up bird and all those spots are revered and people visit there with so much of you know devotional fervor as you said those places have been graced once by the feet of the lord and frankly speaking prem there is no proof we just believe it we just accept it if they say rama stood here okay rama stood here and <laughs> so break the coconut here tomorrow if something happens the earthquake comes or whatever and the geography of that place is slightly changed i don't think you know recently it happened actually at kedarnath there was a flood that washed away so much so so many things would have got rearranged there but still worship goes on all the spots are still there so we accept it but here we have proof we have photographs we have videos swami walking every inch of prashantinilayam swami has moved through 
whether it is the bhaktanivas whether it is the sheds whether it is the west buildings or south buildings whether it is the canteens the you know canteen the south indian exactly canteen. you know the canteens have seen swami visited more number of times than rama would have possibly visited a place <laughs> where a rama temple is there currently swami has spent more time in some of these places than rama would have spent at ayodhya <laughs> you know really literally well for those who are unaware of swami those who don't know swami it's a different thing but those of us who have seen and felt swami and who are still not advaitins who are not able to see him in everything it becomes so easy for us to see him in these things that have been touched by his physical frame not a dozen times not a thousand times but thousands of times so that's a very very important takeaway for us from this description in the ramayana very true and you know these are all the things which i think uh, in a sense we say that the whole uh, the whole of ayodhya is following uh, bharata and shatrughna towards the place where rama and lakshmana are but even if they had had any doubt about bharata's intentions i think it would have all got washed away the way they see bharata is living every day the pain that he was carrying because they seeing it you know whether be it where he refused to take the chariot where he walked barefoot the food that he consumed through the thing and the way he would have behaved keeping aloof from the rest of the people the way he carried himself in the presence of guha and the way he responded when he saw the different places where rama and sita would have stayed because swami says that when a haystack is shown and say and he's told that this is where rama spent the night you know the way he spontaneously starts breaking down and he says that the same lord who was supposed to be you know sleeping in the emperor's bed he slept over here and as you said more than the grief of rama having to go through this the feeling that sita went through this because i'm sure you know even when rama and lakshmana came out with vishwamitra during that period when they were youngsters to protect the yagna of vishwamitra they would have maybe gone through the same things or when they lived in the ashram of vasishta as disciples they might have put up with all these kind of uh, hardships i'm saying ah, in yeah, the yeah, yeah. tutelage of vasishta ah, okay, the, okay. the four brothers ah. but sita being a princess of videha yeah. kingdom she would have never gone through some of these hardships she would have never walked the forest path or she would have never lived a life in an ashram so the feeling that mother sita has had to go through this and for no mistake of hers and she was never asked to do this i think all these thoughts fills him with so much pain and he breaks down at every spot that he comes past which he feels is filled with the memories of the three of them along this journey or tour of the different places that rama had been to bharata actually tells guha why he is here with the entire army and the entire kingdom of ayodhya and when guha gets to know that they are all going to meet rama immediately there is a change of heart <laughs> i mean in the sense action can be visibly seen now because everybody in shringiveri puram now come and offer their prayers also to bharata it's almost like how we used to do when we get to know you know swami in summer would be in brindavan in bangalore and we are in prashantinilam and in the weekend if somebody is going to bangalore we were students i remember the news would be told to us that such and such a person is going to brindavan tomorrow all of us would write letters and give it to him to offer it to swami on our behalf and uh, that is exactly what all the residents of shringiverapuram also do they say that please offer our prayers also on our behalf to rama and bharata is also touched first it was guha who gets touched with bharata's love for rama now it is bharata's turn to get touched with guha's love and the love of the people of shringiverapuram towards rama i feel this is such a beautiful divine romance where each one gets to see and appreciate the uniqueness the speciality 
yet the commonness of the love that a devotee has for the lord this is what becomes true satsang i feel where each devotee with all his uniqueness all his or her specialities is still bound by that same common thread of intense love for the lord when such devotees all come together that is what becomes a satsang and that is exactly what has happened here at shringiverapuram where everybody is coming and praying to bharata and saying that please offer our prayer also on our behalf to rama and bharata is touched we've said this many times before but we're going to say it again and i think it's not wrong to say it again the next week dear listeners we're going to come to a very very important point <laughs> part in the ramayana <laughs> you know because you look at the ramayana there is no dearth of drama there is enough drama and there is twists in the tale which would make any story proud <laughs> but apart from that there are some points where you know the message is so profoundly brought out in the form of dialogue in the form of uh, two characters in the play in the story bringing out their point of view and that is very very profound because these are many times answers to dilemmas in our head when we make decisions in life what to choose what is right because to put it plain life is not black and white because if it's black and white it's easier to choose and if you have your brains in the right place it's easier to choose right from wrong but always the problem is between what is little right and what is more right what which is, is gray right how you know actually gray is created by mixing black, black and, white. and white right exactly so how can we separate we all know how we come across gray areas how are we able to resolve the gray into what is black and what is white and pick only the white from gray for that we need wisdom they say that a swan has the wisdom to separate milk from water and take only the milk we need to have that wisdom to take only what is white and leave out the black and that wisdom will be showered as you said a plenty from these different episodes from ramayana again which as you said doesn't lack in any drama in fact sometimes i feel like we should call it the dramayana <laughs> <laughs> right so i think dear listeners that will come to next part because that is where we have this brilliant bharata. and beautiful dialogue which happens between bharata and uh, rama with some of the stalwarts pitching in with their points of view and how the resolution is come to because the way they derive at that we of course know the story what happens bharata comes back rama continues with his exile but how that decision is arrived at is a very beautiful lesson for all of us but that we'll have to wait till next week and we'll continue the ramkatha next week in our afternoon satsang as always we bring this to close by offering our humble obeisances at the lotus feet of our dear swami and at the feet of hanuman who is always here guiding us and inspiring us to be like him <laughs> we end with this bhajan sita mohana jan kira जगवंदना
पति राम जय जय राम रघुपति राम जय जय राम दशरथ नंदन श्री You just heard an episode of our radio program Afternoon Satsang. This was a segment of Radio Sai's Thursday Live hosted by Prem and Arvind at 12.30 p.m. Indian Standard Time on Thursdays only on Asia Stream of Radio Sai Global Harmony. The discussion was on Ramakathara Savahini, a book written by Swami and today's episode was first broadcast live on 9th April 2015. Dear listener, We hope you like this program. As always, you can send us your feedback to listener at radiosci.org. You could also WhatsApp us your feedback to this number, 9393-258-258. Thank you and Sai Ram.